What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Wendy City Gridiron Radio with you, as always, your host, Robert Zaglinski. Uh, it's been a while. I've been at camp, so this is the first episode in, I believe, two and a half weeks. Um, but we're heading into the first length of your break of camp. And by break, I mean the Hall of Fame games tomorrow. We have a lot to discuss, a lot of developments. I'm sure you're waiting in our takes on Roquan Smith to discuss everything, Brian Erlacher, Smith, whatever else. I have NBC Sports Chicago's J.J. Stankovich joining me, who had his, uh, and I put in quotation marks, holdout end before Roquan's. J.J., thanks for coming on. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't the last to arrive to camp, as I reminded the rest of the beat. Um, Granted, my absence was uh, planned long in advance. I, I don't think Roquan Smith's absence has been planned. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, got back on Monday. That was my first day and jumped headfirst right into it and going to Canton on Thursday. Yeah, we all supported you, JJ. Like, there's, there's no issues. We have your back, just like all the Bears have Roquan's back. It's fine. We're nothing personal <laughs> at all. Just... You sounded a little defensive there, so I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been I've been on the defense a little bit, but uh, no, it, it's been it was a, a wonderful trip, and um, I can only use the excuse of being on my honeymoon once, so I got the most out of it. I would say I've already said it to you in person, but I'll say it again. And so anyone who listens knows, congratulations, JJ, again. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just giving you crap. It's it's fine. <laughs> I, I understand. It's it's worth it, and thank you. Appreciate it. To the guy whose uh, quotations holdout uh, hasn't ended, um, Roquan Smith. We are at day seventeen. Uh, we it's been an eventful last week or so. I'm you're sure you're all you're all cut up by now. So the Bears at first uh, pointed to the new NFL helmet rule being part of negotiations, um, wh- wh- where they have an impasse with the young linebacker. Uh, a few days ago, ESPN's Dan Graziano pointed to really ambiguous language that was slipped into Leonard Floyd and Mitch Trubisky's contract that Smith refuses to, uh, give in on. And it doesn't seem like this is going to end anytime soon. This is now the second longest holdout of the last seven years. Only Joey Bosa's 31-day holdout in 2016 goes longer. And at this rate, JJ, uh, it seems like we might we might at least challenge that. We might at least challenge that. We might push that boundary. Yeah, I, I I think it's really fascinating, Robert, because there's not a precedent for this kind of a holdout. Um, Joey Bosa's holdout was over. I think it was bonus money allocation, like when he would receive that. For Roquan Smith, it, it, it is about this language in his contract that his agency CAA has apparently put their foot down and said, we don't want that in there. And I do think the, the helmet rule has something to do with it because, you know, obviously Matt Nagy did say the helmet rule has something to do with it. But it's unprecedented in that we don't know, A, how the NFL is going to officiate the new rule on helmet, you know, use of helmet in contact for both offensive and defensive players. We don't know how suspensions will be handled upon review. Um, and we don't know how that could then affect guaranteed money. So what it, it seems like there's this impasse where the Bears feel like their language is you know, just from my perspective, from what I can tell, the Bears feel like their language and their contracts is sufficient, it's normal, it's regular, 
there's nothing that needs to be changed with it. And it, just, you know, from the, the point of view that I have too here is that Roquan Smith's representation is not only trying to help out their client, but it, it seems like there's probably some pressure on them to get this language removed, get it altered. So there won't be this precedent set that, you know, teams can include it and then they can take away a player's guaranteed money if they get suspended for something they do on the field of play that is, quite frankly, well within the bounds of what a player is expected to do. So that's kind of like the simplified version of it that I've kind of gathered over the last couple of days. But the, the overall thing, and I think Ryan Pace made mention of this on Cap and Co. on ESPN 1000 earlier this week, is that not all the information is out there. And I know the Bears are not going to negotiate through the media. They're, that's certainly not a tactic that they want to do. They've been very careful to not criticize Roquan Smith or his camp during this whole process. Because um, then you turn it into a firestorm. Right. Yeah. Then you, may, then you just make it worse at that point. Um, I don't think we know all the details of this. I do think we will know the details of it when Roquan Smith signs his contract and those details then come out. Um, I just had Ian Rappaport on our podcast, the under center podcast on NBC sports Chicago. And he said that the, the Sam Darnold contract, he's never seen the level of detail that came out after Darnold signed his contract before with a rookie and he expects kind of the same thing with Roquan Smith because there's been so much scrutiny over it. So I think ultimately we'll have the answers on this. But right now, I would kind of caution against feeling like we have the full picture on this story. I think with what we do know, though, I, you can easily see both sides. Yes. I think, I think you know where I lean, but you can still see both sides. You can see why the Bears would be apprehensive to of a rule that they don't know how it's going to be officiated and they would rather have fail safes in place for Smith, especially considering some of their first round picks have had previous health issues like Kevin white and Leonard Floyd. So if they see a way where this rule would cost Smith a lot of games or the kind of impact, which I think is unlikely, but you know, they, they're trying to financially manage that. Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense. It makes sense why they would have that. And from Smith's perspective, um, it makes perfect sense as to what, why, why should he be made the example of? Why should right. he be the one that gives up on money or, that, or be one of the only top 10 picks of recent memory not to have his contract fully guaranteed because of a rule that, they don't, that, that the Bears and the NFL itself doesn't know how it's, you know, they don't know how it's going to turn out? Why should he have that example set? And again, just based off the information we have, I think, I think your, your word of caution is, is, is perfect. I just, I just don't see – I think this is such an important battle for the players. I think, just, I think it's such an important labor issue for Roquan Smith and his camp to win. I think um, it's always struck me how these – I mean, even as the Bears ha – they haven't put out any silos. They haven't opened any missile silos on his camp yet. But it just struck me how the narrative so kind of shifts towards where – He's the where 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 the players' camp is expected to eventually give in because they have no other choice. Oh, that he'll he can just wait out a year and risk everything. Like for once, what the holdout seems like the more pertinent option for for a long term perspective, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think the overall point here that, you know, I've kind of taken away from it is that, you know, whenever there's a holdout, whenever there's a contract dispute, um, everyone takes sides. And Mm -hmm. I I think most fans side with players because players are the ones by the the way the CBA is designed and the way that the NFL in its current state is designed. Players have no power, essentially. Their contracts are not fully guaranteed. They can be cut on a whim. Um, in the most violent sport in America, um, they don't have any power. So you naturally, I think, kind of want to side with the player whenever there's a contract dispute because the ownership has all the money and all the power. In this case, I I don't know if there's a side that's like readily apparent to take Mm -hmm. because you understand both sides of the, the, the issue on this. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating too. I know you're going to hear a lot of people going against the bears and their ownership um, almost out of reflex looking at this situation. Do you think it's, I've already gotten so many, do you think it's Ted Phillips? Okay. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. I've, I've heard that a ton too. Um, I, maybe this will come out in the end that the bears were the ones really holding this up. And what Roquan Smith's agency was demanding was beyond reasonable. And the bears are just being stubborn. But right now, I don't think we know that. I think what we, the information we have about this is that there is an unprecedented, somewhat ambiguous situation going on that both sides have kind of dug in to what they believe is right and fair, and that doesn't match up right now. And it's not like, you know, the Bears are trying to lowball Roquan Smith on the money they're going to pay him. His salary is set by the wage scale. Mm-hmm. It, it comes down to the guaranteed money and it still does come down to money and, you know, how the Bears feel like the language in their contract should be. And I think not only, you know, it's not just the Bears, but I, I bet the Bears probably have some pressure from around the league to not give in. Mm-hmm. Because other teams probably have similar language that they put in their contracts that now they don't necessarily want to have taken out of there for the same reasons the bears don't want to take it out of there, presuming that's what's actually happening here. So there are a lot of factors in play that go beyond the walls of Hallis hall or, you know, the, the camp down at bourbon a or, you know, CAA or wherever Roquan Smith is right now, there's a lot more in play on this that I think is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out and how a resolution ultimately comes to, if it has to be one side kind of acquiescing a little bit, or if it has to be, we get to the point where Roquan Smith maybe has to say to his agents, get me on the field. I don't, I, I don't, I, I care more about playing in the regular season than about this contract issue. Um, I, I think this is, this isn't going to end with, you know, both sides coming together and being like, well, you know, sorry, we, you know, mm-hmm. we mean it, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is going to be a really interesting process to how it gets resolved. To that point, uh, how worried do you think we should be? And I personally set the scale low, but I'll give it a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, where Smith, however much time he misses in the preseason, how that af- – because he's going to get on the field. I think it's very unlikely that he doesn't sign by week one. Yeah. How worried should we be about this affecting his rookie season, just his play on the field? Um, I, I think, obviously, this comes first, and it's first and foremost, but it's still a discussion we have to have. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Bears don't exactly have a great history of players holding out. Um, Curtis Enos, obviously, is kind of your yeah. example. 
Um, Cade McNown held out. There are a couple other guys. But on the flip side of that, what, Shane McClellan didn't hold out? I mean, you, you can pick examples on either side. Um, maybe it's just that the Bears haven't drafted really well. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, it's more but, the picks. It's more the picks if we're being. But, but I, I think to that point, if Roquan Smith is a truly great player, holding out however long he holds out is not going to keep him from being a great player. That I don't think this will tip the scales in one way or the other. I like, I, like basically, I don't think Roquan Smith is teetering between being a great player and being a complete bust. I think yeah. there's a, a pretty long runway there that if he holds out until the third week of the preseason and he, you know, doesn't really get a whole lot of game action, um, if he's great, he'll be fine. Joey Bosa, I know it's you can't really compare the Joey Bosa thing because his job was to just sack the quarterback, not you know call and understand the whole defense. But Joey Bosa is a great player; he's fine. Um, certain guys just have that trait in them, where yeah, I mean, it may mean that Roquan Smith gets off to a slightly slower start this year, but ultimately for the next four or five years, the Bears will have a great player, and I think that is still the big picture in this whole thing. But it's also kind of hard to see outside of it when every day you show up to training camp and number 58 isn't there. And then number 59 is on the sidelines and it's Nick Kwiatkowski and John Timu. And it's like, wait, are we back to, you know, October of last year again? I, I think that just the, the bigger picture still needs to be kept in place here. So to kind of circle back to your question, <laughs> three, I would say like a two right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, get back to me in a week when the bears are ready to play their real first preseason game. Um, and if he's still not in camp, then it's going to go up a little bit. Yeah. And let's not act like camp holdouts are the only football players to, from the other, from the other like health perspective are the only pl- football players to get injured. Right. Football players in general get injured. Look at the Packers already having guys carting off. Look at the Eagles and Lions. There's already a f- more than a few torn ACLs around the league. Um, I'm sure Roquan Smith isn't just laying on the couch right now, just eating Cheetos or and watching Netflix or whatever. I'm sure he's keeping active. What was that? That'd be a funny image if he, you know, was just like sitting on the couch, just binge watching. You know, I'm 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 getting I'm getting the image of like Ben Stiller at the end of Dodgeball, letting himself (laughs) let letting himself go, like after losing after losing Globo Jim. Like I'm getting that image of like Roquan Smith if if he was doing it. I don't think that's what he's doing. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's doing. So he's fine. He's staying flexible. He's staying sharp. I'm sure he has his playbook from minicamp and whatever have you. Um, so let's let the, let's. He's going to be fine. But just, we don't know. And, and putting it solely on that case is, uh, I think, misguided. Um, to let's switch over. Let's switch gears and let's talk more about the helmet rule, JJ and. Over the last few days, we've talked to Vic Fangio. We've talked to some prominent bear defensive bears like Sam Macho and Danny Trevathan. Uh, we've asked Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy about it. Um, and tomorrow is going to be our fir- going to be the first real magnifying glass where we can see how this is going how this new rule, this new really ambiguous contact rule, is going to play out. Um, I think the preseason we're especially going to see a lot of flags because it's mm-hmm. a very trial and error process. Um, and, and, and the general consensus that we got from everybody we spoke to was, I don't know, which makes perfect sense. No one knows how it's going to be in practice because it's never been implemented in practice before. 
Yeah. So, and, you know, Vic Fangio made the point of, well, we can't really go live a whole lot during practices. Um, so it really is going to take a couple of games for everyone to really figure this thing out, which is why preseason exists for, you know, for a number of reasons. But in this case, I think by the end of preseason, the hope is that teams, players, coaches will have a, and officials will have a better idea of what really constitutes a penalty and what doesn't. Because, I mean, the, the obvious ones of a guy spearing someone in the middle of the field, those, those are clear. No one's going to be debating that. But, you know, close line play, how does that, how, you know, is that officiated closely? Is that something now that defensive linemen have to be even more careful or offensive linemen have to be careful? Um, you know, a running back lowering his helmet to gain a couple extra yards. That's going to be interesting how that plays out. Um, I heard this on, I think it was some, I don't remember what radio station or if it was just me talking with someone, but what about, what <laughs> it was about, probably just you, it was probably just you talking with someone just to the wind. Uh, but how about like a quarterback sneak? What if a quarterback, Ooh, yeah, I haven't thought of that gain an inch and all of a sudden gets hit with a 15 yard penalty. Um, I, I think there are just so many different situations that are going to have to be played out here that we can't really know how it's going to go until we see it in practice. And the NFL, NFLPA, players, coaches, everyone expects there to be more penalties during preseason um, with officials kind of, you know, hey, this is what the rule is. We're just going to whistle it. And then there might be some pairing back in the regular season because by then everyone will kind of understand, OK, I can't do this. I can't do that. What would you say, and I've seen, and I've mostly seen this opinion online, so take it with a complete grain of salt, but I'm putting my tinfoil hat on. What would you say to the NFL only putting this rule into, or applying this rule, rather, um, to have the illusion of, of, of better player safety and w- us talking about it now is more overblown than it's actually going to be. And it's just, it's just for them to make it seem like they're trying to make their game safer. When it's you know it's rarely when it's rarely by 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 the time everyone's used to it, it's rarely actually going to get called. That's a really interesting point. Um, I, I think that it will it won't make the game significantly safer this year because old habits die hard, and one one month of preseason play and training camp practices. It's going to be a while. It won't even be just like it'll be like a few years. Like this. Yeah. Is- right. Right. Where. I think the NFL's goal ultimately is to take the helmet out of the game. Not obviously have players play without helmets. That would be ridiculous. But guys for so long, I mean, I, you see it at the college level when I covered Notre Dame, um, even after the, even after college football implemented the helmet to helmet ejection rule, you had guys diving in helmet first and you know, they're getting ejected and wondering why. And it's like, well, because that A is poor tackling form and B like it's dangerous. And I think the NFL, what, the, what this rule is aiming to do is aiming to take, it's aiming to tell players that using your helmet as a weapon or as a device to gain more yards or prevent a player from gaining more yards is not safe and not okay. And yeah, it'll, I think it'll take more than four to five years. It might take 10 years because it's going to have to start at the low levels of football, you know, Pop Warner, high school, that's where it's going to have to start, not 
with players who are already in the NFL, already kind of polished products. Um, so it's going to be a while before this rule actually results in anything significant. But I do think that it, at its core, it's a good rule. How it's implemented, though, is going to be kind of sketchy this year, I think. I'll say this. I, I like how both Nagy and Fangio said that his players would respond. While they're going to adjust, both essentially said that they're just going to have to accept when it costs the Bears a big play or mm-hmm. when it costs them a game. like Because it's, it's part of the game, and sometimes it's going to come back to bite you. And part of adjusting to a new rule is understanding that is not always going to go your way. Part of you know playing under the restrictions of this rule is understanding that you know that it's that it's not always in the cards. Like teams have adjusted to the illegal contact for as much as that's ambiguous. Teams adjusted to pass interference. Um, I'm trying to think of other re- really famous rule changes, but those are the ones that really come to mind. And it took. You know, it took a little bit, and those were less player safety oriented, and it cost team games. But teams adjusted because they they accepted it. It was a mentality. They accepted it. It was a roster wide. It was an organizational mentality that hey, sometimes you can't you you can't control it. All you all you have to do is play. You go out on the field. Whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked those answers. I, I, I think that paints a good perspective for the Bears. Um, well, yeah, for the Bears adjusting to this. I think there, we're going to see some high-profile instances of this being called that is going to lead to a lot of uproar. You know, we'll probably see one toward the end of the game where maybe it's a, you know, a, a fourth and seven and a team is driving and the you know, ball in the 20, they're down by four. They throw a five-yard out to a tight end who then tries to gain the extra two yards by lowering his helmet. He gains the extra two yards, but then it's a penalty whistled for 15 yards and the team loses like that. That could very well happen. Or a maybe a defensive player goes in uh, with his helmet and forces a fumble in the process that's recovered toward the end of a game to stop a drive. But it's whistled as a foul and then the offense keeps the ball and goes on to win the game. There's going to be a lot of complaining about that when that happens. And if I, I know but, one thing, Twitter's always rational and yeah, online is yeah, always rational. Are always, fans are always rational. Uh, coaches are always rational after they feel like their team was screwed out of a game. Um, yeah, I, I think everyone will be totally rational about it. Mm-hmm. Or um, it'll <laughs> the the, uh, the non sarcastic thought on that is that it, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to it. It's going to dominate yeah. a news cycle. Um, and how the NFL responds to it is going to have to be just to kind of stay fast to their rule and not feel the pressure to overturn it. Like, you know, their dumb definition of a catch that needed changing. This may be something that they're just going to have to stick with grin and bear it and say, look, it is ultimately for player safety. And we just have to take the instinct of players using their heads as a weapon out of the game. And this is the way we're doing it. I just enjoy that fact that we go from not knowing what a catch is to kind of, I guess, kind of fixing it to now going into a season where for a while we won't know what a tackle is. <laughs> I, I, I like that we have that juxtaposition now. I like that we've transitioned to that. To the two, two of the most basic tenets of football, we, yeah. we, we, don't, we, don't, know what, we, don't, we, we don't know what they are anymore. 
Um, yeah. I, th I, think I think it's really fascinating. <laughs> let's let's move over to the Hall of Fame game, JJ. Um, I don't think just – I mean, the answers tell you everything just based off how each of the coordinators and, and Matt Nagy spoke. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Mitch Trubisky tomorrow night. I don't think we're going to see Anthony Miller or Allen Robinson, really any of the Bears' big players on either side of the ball. Um, that's what the fifth preseason game gives you. So I'm trying to figure what camp competitions or what preseason competitions we should really, really focus in on. I think one of them so far that I've sort of lasered in on is Tanner Gentry against Javon Wims, if that's even a thing to get onto the roster. Um, if it, unless I, I, I think they might both be on the bubble or outside, outside of the bubble. Right. Um, but I, there's the, the, the real, because the real attraction of this game is Brian Urlacher's candidacy. There's not, I don't see much other um, fireworks to keep an eye on. Well, it's the quarterback on the other side of the ball is the real attraction of this game. Um, I keep being like, <laughs> the other day I was sitting around, I was like, oh, God, this Hall of Fame game is probably going to be terrible. And I was like, all right, I'm actually going to get to see a lot of Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Um, I think the thing you want to look for on this, if you're, you know, you're really looking for what could be decided by this game, uh, A, the answer is nothing, but B, um, if you're, you know, one of the, the people who really cares about the 53 men who will be on the <laughs> Have the the weak links. We can't have guy forty eight and forty nine being non contributors. Yeah. We need them. We need everybody. We need all the troops in order. Yeah. So if you really want to look for that, um, you know, if let's say you're DVRing the game, fast forward through every. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're just cringing at the thought of someone DVRing this game. Um, Who would DVR the Hall of Fame game? <laughs> but it let let's just say hypothetically that you do fast forward through all the offense and all the defense and only watch special teams and then count numbers. Um, see what undrafted rookies are on special teams. Maybe you'll see Kevin Tolliver on special teams. That would be seemingly a good sign for his inclusion on the 53 man roster, um, or at least a good starting point. Um, you know, for Javon wins and Tanner Gentry, they have an uphill battle to fight because Josh Bellamy and Benny Fowler are both, you know, hardened special teams veterans at this point. So um, look for who's on special teams, who, how they're being used, how frequently they're being used. And I'm not talking about like who's returning kicks, but you know, I mean, this is like inside baseball to a T um, who's lining up on kickoff coverage, who's lining up as punt gunners, who's lining up on punt, you know, all that stuff is where the real evaluation I think is going to happen in this game because on offense and defense, the bears are doing pretty much no game planning. They're just kind of putting guys out there and seeing what they can do. And that's not totally different from the live portions of practice that they've had. It's just against another team at this point. So um, that is something that, you know, trying to find meaning in this game is going to be a little bit difficult to say the least, but, um, for position battles, I think it's more about special teams battles in this. Um, you know, I mean, look, last year, Tanner Gentry had a great preseason. He had a great camp. He did everything right. And at the end of the day, he was left off the 53-man roster. So you can kind of get some, like, fool's gold trying to read too much into these guys uh, right now. But on special teams, if they're playing it, if they're being used on it, if they're succeeding on it, 
um, that's kind of where you might gain a little bit of knowledge off of this game. That's an interesting point that I wanted to touch on. And I, I think a guy like Gentry last year is the perfect example uh, to that, to the offense and defense where you saw someone like Gentry flashing again and again, making, you know, crazy lob catches, making crazy deep catches last year. You see offensive skill players, a lot of guys doing that this year. Um, but that doesn't take into account situations Mm-hmm. that they're never put in in actual games. The kind of space they're getting in camp and in these early vanilla preseason games is something that is almost never, 99% of the time, ever going to happen in real full-speed regular season action. That's just with the, where they're schemed out, where opponents know their tendencies, where there's a safety over the top. It's, it's a completely different atmosphere, and I think that's part of why I think that's part of why, to your point, it's you can't really see anything from these from these kinds of offensive and defensive guys. I will say, for those defensive guys, if I see a corner flash, so if, say if Kevin Tolliver is getting a lot of defensive tomorrow time tomorrow and he's doing something against the Ravens, I think that's much more of a positive sign for him yeah. than any Bears bottom of depth chart receiver doing anything. I think that's I, I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I don't mean to belittle the accomplishments of these guys in these preseason games. because well, it still matters. Yeah, of course. I, it, I'm just... you, you have to perform well on your side of the ball to make a team. You can't just be a good special teams player. But at the same time, I, I think it's easy to lose sight of what these guys actually need to do to make a roster. Um, you know, I'm writing on NBC Sports Chicago today about Ryan Nall, the, the undrafted running Uncoincidentally, back. Uncoincidentally, so am I. Oh, hey, cool, great. So, so is actually so is Chris Emma. So that's so, an yeah. that's an uh, interesting trio there. Popular guy. Um, but <laughs> but I, you know, I t- kind of talked to him about it, and special teams is important enough where you he like he knows he has to do it, and if Ryan Nall goes for a hundred and twenty something yards on eighteen carries with a touchdown on Thursday night hey, that's great. He can do what the Bears expect him to do in a game against like fourth and fifth stringers. Um, he's he's going to have to show that he can be a member of Chris Tabor's special teams unit. And the, the one thing I want to touch on on that is that uh, Tabor, T- Chris Tabor talked on Tuesday and I thought he gave a really good recruiting pitch to being on special teams, which I, I think most guys don't need to hear, but maybe some do. And it's that, look, if you're on special teams and you're playing in a preseason game, you're putting on film basically what your resume is. And if you don't make our team, what you do on special teams could get you on another team. And that I think is the best pitch to being a special teams guy is like, look, you don't have a whole lot of chances to make it in the NFL. If, especially if you're an undrafted rookie, you might, you really only get one chance and that's this preseason so you better take advantage of it, and you better show that you're willing to commit to special teams because otherwise it's really unlikely that you're going to play your way onto a starting unit or even a reserve role, uh, like a number two corner thing. Like for as good as Kevin Tolliver has looked in these practices, it's not like he's beating out Prince Mukamara or Kyle Fuller for a job. Um, so he's probably going to have to play on special teams. So I, I think that's where you know, you're going to have to really look 
and just keep that in mind when maybe we see a great performance again from Tanner Gentry is what's he doing on special teams. So that's, I, that's my, my diatribe on that. I think, I, I think the word actually, to the, what, you, what you mentioned about Tabor, he said that's your resume. That was specifically yes. what he yeah. said. And I look forward to Tanner Gentry going full Terrell Davis and tackling someone like a missile and then becoming a Hall of Fame receiver tomorrow. I think that's I, I think that's what I got from from Tabor's speech and, and, and your description. Yeah. I think what, what starts in Canton ends in Canton. Wow, that is that that is incredibly profound. I didn't know we would take it there, but what starts in Canton ends in Canton. We we're gonna remember this moment as the start of something special for someone. That's, that's, that, that's what I'm taking away. That's what I'm taking. So someone that's going to watch Brian Urlacher over the weekend, get his gold jacket. will be getting their gold jacket in 20, in 15 years. That's, that's hmm. what we're taking away from this special teams performance. I mean, uh, can, can I, huh, that's how I, I wonder if either team has a future hall of famer. That's a, probably a topic for another, um, another day for another day. Like that's a totally responsible topic too. <laughs> Let's 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 talk the, the finally. Let's finish this up. Let's talk the man, um, the man of honor. Why the reason the Bears are even playing tomorrow and having the extra preseason game? Brian Urlacher, first ballot Hall of Famer, getting his gold jacket on Saturday. Bears honoring him with their participation in tomorrow's game. Ravens honoring first ballot Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. Um, but we're this is a Bears podcast, so we're going to focus on Brian. Um, First thing I want to know, what do you think just in your most, in your most, and I'll say profound, yes, in your most profound way possible, JJ, or of speaking, what do you think Brian meant to this, meant to the Bears organization and, and, and even like getting in as one of the, the rarefied um, first ballot guys? I think he meant the, the continuation of the tradition of this franchise in a way that I don't know if we maybe ever will see again, because if the, if this Matt Nagy thing works out, the bears are not going to be the smash mouth monsters of the midway. They're going to be the high flying, super fun to watch, uh, you know, reincarnate of some other great offense, you know, greatest show on turf that, you know, like along those lines of the nicknames, um, what Brian Erlacher brought though was like, when you think about the Chicago linebackers, there's sort of this like mythical nature of these guys who aren't flashy. They put their heads down. They work hard. Brian Urlacher, Mike Singletary, Dick Buckus, those guys that you can say those guys in the same sentence and they fit the profile of what the bears have kind of been about on defense. Uh, and I, I think just like from, from that standpoint, he he meant so much and two i mean look i grew up in chicago uh i was 11 when brian urlacher would have been a rookie um everyone had a number 54 jersey at school i had a number 54 jersey it was it was a knockoff one it wasn't a real one uh but it was it was <laughs> 54 jersey nonetheless and uh you know just the that popularity of a player means so much to a team and i, I think the bears have kind of lost that a little bit. I mean, you look last year, you go to a game and it was kind of hard to find people walking around in jerseys of current players. You saw some Trubisky, but it was a lot of players who no longer play for the bears. 
So I think just when you have a, a player of that level of popularity, notoriety, who has so many moments on the field that you can point to, whether it's the Arizona game in uh, 2006 or what was it, the back against Jacksonville in 2001, I want to say. Jacksonville 2001? Um, I'm not sure. Some of those games in 2001 – I mean, granted, I'm going to date myself. I was like 12 when those happened, so I don't remember like the exact details of them. But, um, you know, just a guy who means that much to a team, to a city, um, for him to be a first ballot inductee in the Hall of Fame is a really special thing. And it's hard to be a first ballot inductee into the NFL, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So for Brian Urlacher to do it in a year where Ray Lewis also did it, um, you're sending two of the best linebackers in the history of the game into Canton in the same year. And one of them played for the Bears. One of them played for your team, and that's really special. I think what particularly stands out to me for Brian was he was probably the first of his kind at his position. So he like he was the first guy that was like 6'4", 250, 260 pounds, can cover – the entire middle of the field by himself, go sideline to sideline, make freakish interceptions, um, make game clutch game play, clutch like interceptions and forced fumbles and crucial moments. Um, he he was the guy. He was the guy that popularized like the new Luke Keekleys and the Bobby Wagners. He's, he's he stood alone in that in that respect. I I, I don't think we had ever seen a player like that before. Um, for as good as guys like Keekly are now, I think it's difficult to compare him to what Brian first did in revolutionizing. Uh, I, I think re- revolutionizing a defense. I mean, the guy was so good that he made Lovey Smith's cover two defense, which a bend but bro- which was by philosophy, bend but don't break. He made it. Uh, he made it elite because of because just based on it was because it was all based around his ability based around his talents. He, he's the one that brought about that advent of it. Um, and it's not often you see players like that. It's not often you see guys in like just perfect a scheme based off of their entirely unique. And I don't even think generation because generational is what every 15 years. Yeah. Uh, he was the first player we'd ever seen like that in, in 30 or 40 years in 30 or 40 years in the modern era, really I just, I don't think that's too hyperbolic to say. So um, that's what, that's what always stood out to me that he was the kind of guy you would watch regardless of how bad the bears were on offense. You watched them for their defensive show because of Brian. Yeah. And also, you know, for the ways that they scored that didn't weren't on offense, just as you're saying that I thought back to, um, a conversation that we were having, some of us are having with George McCaskey. We were asking him about uh, Erlacher, and he mentioned one of his favorite memories of Brian Erlacher is you remember the the Nate Vasher, um, hundred and nine yard missed field goal against the Forty Niners, right? Forty Niners, yeah. the orange jerseys. He said, "Go back and watch that play because Brian Erlacher delivers a block on that play that kind of springs the whole thing," and he's like. What like that's that was who Brian Urlacher was. He was willing to go out there on special teams and lay a block down when you know you probably have a lot of other superstars who are not going to play on special teams because it's beneath them. They don't need to. They might get hurt. This is a nice segue back into the Hall of Fame special teams. It's all about special teams. Um, 
But, you know, just like that was a moment that I thought was really interesting that stuck out in his mind because it wasn't, you know, one of the highlight plays. It wasn't one of the elite games that Erlacher had. It was just like him contributing to one of the contributing to a highlight play, but not being the focus of it. And I thought that was kind of a, a really interesting summation and a good summation of who Brian Urlacher was as a player. I'll say this too. Um, as someone who also grew up in Chicago, um, I think I was 12 when the Bears went to the Super Bowl in 2006, 2007. Yeah. Um, Brian was the guy that like got me, wanted help, like galvanized me to want to become a sports reporter, sports writer, whatever, because of the things he accomplished. Brian, at least when I was much more emotionally invested and much more of a fan, um, was the guy that, and this is embarrassing, was the guy that had me wear his jersey for literally a month after they lost the Super Bowl, just in pure emotional dis, dis, uh, like disarray, JJ, <laughs> as a middle schooler. Yeah, I didn't have any friends back then. So, <laughs> so I, I wore his jersey for literally a month to middle school after that. Um, and he, but he was the guy that, like, saw like helped me see like one like i'm trying to put this into proper words who galvan i'll say galvanized again who galvanized me into wanting to tell the stories of these Mm -hmm. like larger than life humans yeah originally like when it was like okay i'm gonna become a writer i'm gonna like hone my writing craft and i want to be around this kind of stuff as much as possible and I, i don't know whether to i don't know whether to thank him or 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 whatever else, but th- that's that's what'll always stick out to me because he was the first guy that did that. Yeah, hey, that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good legacy. I mean, and just just like that, per- like everyone has like some personal story about Brian Urlacher. Whether it's most of us probably have never met him before, but everyone has that story of you know I had his jersey and I wore it the night they made the Super Bowl, or you know he was the guy who led me to you know become a sports writer even though I never talked to him before, like. That type of stuff. We're personal friends. What are you talking about? Well, oh, uh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just like like that, that I think is such a, a neat legacy for someone to have. And that just shows how much he meant to this town is that everyone has a story about Brian Urlacher. Even though 95% of the people with those stories never met the guy or never spent any time beyond, you know, him signing an autograph for them. But you know, just those those special players don't come by very often, and they deserve to be appreciated in the way that he's going to be appreciated this weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend, a fun emotional weekend for Erlacher and his family and for a lot of the people that tie their own lives into Erlacher's Bears career. Um, that, that I think that'll be the main event. I think it'll be a fun spectacle to see. Uh, we'll see what kind of speech he has in store. Um, in general, going to be a nice Erlacher slash special teams fest that we everyone yeah. should be able to get yeah. invested in. Uh, special teams comes first, and then... Uh, over Erlacher. Over Erlacher. Over. Yeah, over it all. Um, JJ, I appreciate you coming on. It's great to have you back. Um, I, I, wish I, had, I wish I had more... I guess endearing words to say about your return, but I, it's, it, it's, it's good to have you back. Thank you. I appreciate that. You can follow JJ on Twitter at JJ Stankovitz. Um, he's a newlywed man and he's one of the, he's one of the best at what he does. Um, 
And as always, we have fun with them here. You can follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. You can follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglinski. And we'll be back for more stuff over the as we close up camp. As always, stay classy. My heart skips skipping the beach and not close enough so that space between you and me, let's lose it. The way you're dancing, swaying to the music, girl, that body and how you move it. Every time you cross my mind, girl, I lose it. Alexa, play the Country Heat playlist. Okay. I think you know what you're doing to me, you got With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.